Ever since I was a small boy, I've been obsessed with movies, books, and music. But as I grow older, I've begun to realize that these things increasingly miss the mark of fulfilling who we are meant to be. But they seem to have a common theme. They point us to a greater story, a greater adventure, a greater love, a greater joy. On this show, we dive into some of our favorite themes in songs, books, and movies so that we can begin the discussion of what our fascination with these stories actually reveal. A desire for something more. A desire for the unknown. A desire for love. A desire for God. Welcome to the adventure. Let's get started. Welcome back to the Christ in Culture. This is Clint. This is Steve. And we actually have a little bit of a surprise this week. We are introducing a brand new third co-host. So you guys probably recognize him from a lot of our shout outs, but this is Gordon Moore. So Gordon, you want to go ahead and introduce yourself? You're an Adore missionary too, so you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So yeah, I'm Gordon Moore. I am an Adore missionary from Atlanta, Georgia originally, and I moved out here to Houston interning with Adore. I was supposed to go mission in Australia and uh, Adore won that bid so <laughs> here I am I love Texas yeah yeah. there's yeah. really nothing else about me great yeah we're, we're happy that Adore won out and Gordon's <laughs> with us we also lo- realized that we gave him probably the most shout outs and so we were like oh it's like a probably. redemption program <laughs> like yeah. he got the most shout outs now he's a co-host you too can become a co-host <laughs> so uh, with that note make sure you're contacting <laughs> us reach out to us email Facebook, Twitter, SoundCloud, whatever you want. Just contact us. We like to hear from y'all. Yeah, and then we can give you shout-outs, and you might be sitting here at the four-person table across from me. Yeah, you never know. You could someday be a co-host, too. Yeah, but no, it's great. Gordon, really excited to have you with us. You know, sort of, you know, my question, I know we're, we're going to probably be getting into our actual topic, but my question uh, for you, just because we had our little intro episode, mm-hmm. Um so just briefly, if you kind of want to talk, like... My origin you know, story? What, yeah, like, just what, what brought you here? See, this is how you know he's actually paid attention to all the episodes. He knows. Yes. I actually just recently watched Justice League, like, the new one, and I don't know if you guys watched that. No, not yet. Okay. I'm well, there's a scene where, like, The Flash and I Cyborg, like, look at each other, and they're like, we're the accidents. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, we uh. are. So, like, I, I feel like I'm the accident. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Okay. Great. No, I actually have seen that, that movie. Yeah, but that's funny. <laughs> I can go watch that still. I was, was pretty slacking good. pretty hard. Good. It was fun. Cool. So, Gordon, you want to go ahead and start us off with what media you've been taking in this week as far as books, music, movies? Yeah, I have been on like a 90-day fast, so I haven't been able to watch movies, which I'm obsessed with movies. So I watch them on Sunday still, but I haven't. I don't think I saw one this Sunday. Otherwise, as Steve has already mentioned previously, like we just started Thirty Three Days to Merciful Love. Mm-hmm. So I've been reading that, as well as Lord of the Rings trilogy because of like me meeting, yes. meeting Clint and like a lot of other people down here. I finally was just like, all right, I need to like dive in and like I've seen the movies, but like what's like the real hype about? Let's read the book. So I got it for Christmas, and I've been reading that very slowly. I'm a very yeah. slow reader, um, so that's been yeah. Been going through. Those are books you gotta read slow, though. I mean, there's a lot. It was to a lot take more in, simple than I realized. As far as I expected it to be thick reading, and it's like, oh, I could like read this to kids. Yeah, but I understand what you're saying. For the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings, I think they're a little bit more. 
the Hobbit especially was oriented towards young children. Right. It's when you get into some of the other readings where right. it's very, very dense. And it's also still, I'm still in the first book, so I'm sure like as it gets thicker, sure. yeah. it's, it's tougher. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I gotta ask though, while we're on the topic, so far, which one do you like better, the books or the movies? I know it's early. I, it's, I haven't seen the movies since they've been out, so it's been a while. I never oh, wow. enjoyed oh. the movies. I really? have. But it's because I never really understood the story. I was little. Okay. I actually never really finished the third yeah. movie. I fell asleep during the giant spider scene in the, in the war, which apparently You fell asleep like the during end. that scene? Oh my god. Apparently that's the end. So I've never finished it. I'm much more excited now that I'm like back in my faith and I yeah. can see like the parallels to like finish the books and then I have the movies to watch them all yeah. again. But the book's fantastic. Usually book trumps and like For sure. Tom Bombadil's been like my favorite. Yes. And he's not in the book. He's not in the movie. Right. So yeah. so far the books I we'll think. We'll have to work on that though because yeah. you haven't read the books either. So. No, I own them all. You own them all but you still haven't read, I haven't them. read them. Yeah, I know. I'm terrible. We'll work well, on that and then we'll go watch, we'll binge watch the yeah. whole series. What's super funny, so last week I was in the process of moving out of my apartment, and so now I'm kind of-ish roommates with Gordon. That's true. Um, we, we are under the same roof, but I own all of the extended versions of those movies. I do as well. Got those for Christmas with the book. Nice. Ah, so yeah, you can and watch them. Good. Yeah, there you go. So that's what you can do on Sunday, maybe. Yeah, awesome. So actually, that actually goes off of some of my media, too, because I just finished the book that I talked about last week, Frozen Heat, the one that was written by Richard Castle from the TV show, which means I had a opening in my book slots. I tried to read three books at a time, and so I opened up another one, and this is The Children of Huron, which is another Tolkien book, um, which he actually never wrote this book while he was alive. It was something that was... Only after he was dead. It was finished by his son from his notes. So it's like a, a chapter within The Silmarillion, that was intended to be a full-length story, but he never finished it. Okay. So his son Christopher, who just stepped down as the president of mm-hmm. the Tolkien estate this year, or I guess last year it would have been, 2017, he's the one that finished that book and a bunch of other books too. So Children of Hearing, very good. Yeah. Steve, what have you been listening to? Well, b- before that, I had decided that one of these days, if I ever write a book... I really want to write Clint in a, as a tree. A tree? Um, mm. I w- I'd like to do that for you, Clint. I, I would like, appreciate that I would like <laughs> so to, much. To create a story and have a sentient tree um, with your personality. So for those of you listening, uh, <laughs> the reason why I would appreciate that so much is because, like we've said before, J.R.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis, Lewis yeah. were basically best friends. And they're both authors, and they actually wrote each other into their most popular stories by making them a character that was a sentient tree. Like a uh, tree. A, a, yeah. yeah. An ent. Yeah. <laughs> basically. So it's pretty cool. I would be flattered to be among the inklings in your story, Steve. Yeah. <laughs> if I ever get around to writing a book. There you go. That'd be awesome. Not likely. Uh, maybe someday. Maybe. We'll maybe. I actually would like to. It's just... It's time. I, yeah, I just... It's not yeah. easy. Yeah. It's I've tried. Not, I've tried multiple times as well. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, so as for my media, as Gordon had already mentioned, we're doing 33 Days to Merciful Love. I still am working my way through some of the other books. I haven't really gotten back into reading since the move uh, with uh, Severe Mercy um, or anything like that, but, but I'm going to try to get back into those now that 
the move's complete. But really in terms of media since the move, it's mostly been 33 days or I kind of binged the, the season for The Walking Dead thus far mm-hmm. just because they have on demand and I didn't have a TV for a little bit of time. Which actually brings us to today's topic. Yeah, as, pr- as promised, we came back to Walking Dead. Yeah, so. yeah we did say we, we might come back because there's a lot of uh, cool themes that kind of go on. And actually, there's an, as I was watching, there was another one, so we might end up doing another one in the future. We'll see. <laughs> I've already talked to Gordon about this. Yes. Awesome. Uh, but, but before we get started, I want to insert a major spoiler alert here because, you know, this would sort of ruin a lot if you're not caught up in The Walking Dead. Yeah, this is a big one. I don't even watch the show, and I know this is a big one. So. Yeah, like it's, it's bigger than like probably Glenn's death in terms of spoiler. And if you didn't know that happened, well... Spoiler. <laughs> My bad. You were warned before. So yeah, you were you warned that this was a spoiler. So Carl ended up dying in the mid-season premiere uh, in The Walking Dead. Then his character's death kind of came as a big shock, especially if you read any of the comics, because his character plays a really big role in the next phase of the comics after the war with the saviors. Um, I don't know how they're going to sort of play that off, but... But yeah, his character ended up dying, and the mid-season premiere was sort of his final farewell episode. Uh, that sort of tied it all together. And in my opinion, I think it had a lot of really good lessons involved in it. So, so I kind of want to unpack a little bit of what's going on there, and then the two episodes that have come out since then, which is sort of the effects of Carl's death and all of these things. Uh, so first, what I think is really interesting is his death did not come at the hands of the saviors or some other group. One of the things that people attack The Walking Dead is it's not really about The Walking Dead anymore. It's about the living that are just killing the living. And it's and to a certain extent, yeah, I mean, once you kind of can survive the slow lumbering zombies, only when they're in big groups does it become a real threat. That was actually something you brought up in the last mm-hmm. episode, I think, about how it's the deaths mostly come from the other communities. Yeah, now. yeah but what's weird is that Carl actually dies of a bite. He actually does get bit. And, you know, it's on his torso, so it's not like his arm where they can amputate it fast enough and he's able to survive. Mm-hmm. It's, his, it's his torso. And, you know, it kind of reminds me of, like, Civil War era. Like, if you got a bullet wound in your extremities, you were fine. But if you got it in your torso, you, that was it. Yeah. And they didn't have the, the medicine to be able to cope with it. But, yeah, so he ends up dying. Just a really sad moment. My dad is a big fan of The Walking Dead show. And so he was like, he was all teary-eyed when it happened. <laughs> all he could think about was his, his son down in Texas and this, it made him cry, uh, my mom told me. And it's funny is my dad doesn't even deny it. He's just like, I don't, you'd have to be some sort of monster to not cry during that scene when like he's saying goodbye to his dad. <laughs> well, luckily there's no zombies down here, so yeah. Steve is safe. Right. Uh, so mom, you can nature. tell dad that, that we're good. So the, the really interesting part of of his death is it's while he was saving another man's life. So this guy, they encounter earlier in last, well, not last season, but the first half of the season before the break, because the seasons are split. Mm -hmm. So in the first half of the season, they encounter this man and he's looking for food or, or something to help him out. And Rick's group has plenty and they're out looking for weapons and things to fight the saviors. And they kind of bump into this guy and Carl wants to help him. But Rick, all of a sudden, has this fear of the other. He has this fear that this good guy could be a spy for the saviors. And so he, he, doesn't, he scares him off. He shoots his gun, and the guy runs off. And Carl's like, what the heck? And he's like, well, I didn't shoot him. You know, like, 
And Carl's like, look, he's not going to survive out here on his own. So this leads Carl to go out and try to help this man. And he goes out and he's trying to help him. And he realizes that he couldn't just bring him back into the group immediately, just because obviously they don't want him. But he's trying to lay the groundwork while helping this guy on the outside survive. And I think it's really interesting context because Rick's group always had three questions. That was like their big thing as a group. They had the three questions. How many zombies have you killed? How many people have you killed and why? To, it was sort of their vetting process, right? As long as you were a generally good person, they understand that, you know, if you were attacked by bandits, you might have to kill a person. And if you've never killed a walker, how did you survive this long sort of thing? But they were always welcoming of anyone who could answer those questions properly. And now you get to this point where there's a genuinely good guy and you later find out that he's exactly what the community needed because he's a doctor. Mm. Or he was a med it, student. Didn't know? didn't their doctor... Got like taken said, by the saviors. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Mm. Yeah. I haven't seen a lot of episodes, but I'm trying to piece together from what you're telling me. Yeah, yeah. He Their doctor got taken by the saviors, which is its own complete other arc. Yeah. Right. But... They end up getting this guy who has some medical background. I don't think he was particularly a doctor. I think he might have been a resident. Okay. But obviously had made it through medical and was just, you know, doing his residency. So about as close as you're going to get, especially when you have a pregnant woman that needs to deliver a baby at some point. Yeah. Having a doctor is a big deal. Now, what I think is interesting is this shows the issue that we have sometimes with judging people. So we have this fear of the stranger at times um, in our culture, right? So we ultimately, this man needed help and needed mercy and needed this love Yet he was met with immediate distrust. And I think there's a danger when we meet people with an immediate distrust. So it kind of reminds me, so going back to the Good Samaritan story, we have this man and, you know, there's really strange details in scripture sometimes, but they're always like usually pretty important. Mm -hmm. Um, For instance, you know, it mentions this guy's on the side of the road and he's naked. And that's like, well, that's really weird. And you're like, well, maybe he was just so down on his luck. Like, you know, they just took his clothes. It's probably true. But also in ancient, like, Israel culture, the Jews, like, what you wore kind of signified if you were Jewish or Samaritan or a Levite, um, you know, or a rabbi or something like that. Like, it kind of showed who you were in the society. And so as you have the rabbi and the priest walk past him and ignore him, yeah, there's a certain point of they just weren't doing the right thing. But also they just didn't know if he was Jewish or if he was a Samaritan, right, or if he was some sort of Gentile that they shouldn't have have had any dealings with i mean it was a samaritan who looked past that looked past the the fact that he didn't have any sort of signifying mark and and showed this man mercy simply because he was a man in need yeah and i think that's something that the the people at the time would definitely recognize they would have known these things right away and another thing that's not quite as i guess important to to this (laughs) story but when the priest walked by it would have partially also been that he was trying to stay clean for the 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 people that he was serving Mm -hmm. you know so if he were to go and serve this man who was beaten and bloody on the road then he would no longer be able to be ritually clean to serve the rest of the community yeah i was also thinking the same idea of the people that pass by and like in the idea of how with the stranger you know we can fear them but also almost in the sense of back then like we're fearing what people will think of us. Mm-hmm. So like back in the time, if you go through other scriptures that's come up this week and daily readings and like Jesus who goes and does something that like the priest or like believe at the walk by should have done. And then you hear everyone else being like, you're, you're Jesus. Like you shouldn't be doing that. 
and he's just ignoring that. So like everyone else that didn't do it is doing it because they didn't want to be judged. And it's almost fear of the, the stranger, but also fear of like what people will think of you. Right. right. And you see that at the woman at the well, right? Like first off for a Jew to speak to a Samaritan or a man to speak to a woman, particularly a Jewish man speaking to a Samaritan woman. And it was at noon, which was in the middle of the day when nobody went to get water. So she was only going there because she was already a social outcast because of how many husbands and she was living in sin. You know, she was mm-hmm. very much ostracized from society. And Jesus like met and actually like spoke with her. And I think that fear holds us back too. Um, I don't think like it was just something back then. Like we, you know, not so much in terms of like, yeah, if you see like a homeless person, you help them. Like, yeah, people are like, oh, like good job. Good for you. But, you know, what if you're, it's like that, you know, estranged family member or, you know, just like, you know, somebody like a coworker, if you're in school, like somebody who's sort of a social outcast, you know, there's this fear of, well, if I, you know, just show them like base kindness. And like, if I go up to that person, I speak to them, like people might think something else is up, which I think is something that we need to sort of get past, <laughs> you know, if we're going to be Christians. Mm-hmm. You know, I would say this to my, my former teens all the time, you know, like there are those people in your school, you know, people like tease them, make fun of them, and they're sort of at the bottom of the social ladder. And as a Christian, you should go down there to them and meet them where they're at, right? Like you need to get past the fact that your friends might think you were weird because you're talking to that weird person, right? I think that's something especially important right now. I saw today, I was just on Facebook for a little bit, and I saw there were some schools that rather than doing a walk out because of the shootings, they were doing something, they called it a walk up. And so what they did was they challenged the kids in their school to walk up to someone and tell them why they valued that person. So I saw one school was doing sticky notes on lockers. Mm -hmm. One school, they were actually having them say it face to face. And every single student in those schools was approached by someone and told why they felt that that person was important. You know, and that's exactly what I think we're talking about. I think Mm -hmm. our society right now needs a lot of that. There's a lot of mending that needs to happen. There's a lot of healing. And so, you know, I think that we need to be mindful of how we're treating people, particularly the stranger, right? You know, are we, are we treating them and responding to them in service or with a mistrust? There is, you know, the sense we going back to this, like the homeless beggar. And, and I'm certainly guilty of this sometimes. You know, you you drive up and they're at the underpass intersection and you just sort of don't want to have to deal with it or you see them and they're begging for money and you don't want to give it to them. Um, maybe you don't have cash on you, whatever it is. You know, you, we think, you know, who could be lying about needing the money or you might spend it on the wrong things, thinking like drugs or alcohol or these sorts of things. And those are real concerns, right? You don't want to enable him. Like if he's going to go spend it on drug and alcohol, like there's a certain level of, oh, I don't want to give him money that he's going to spend that's going to cause him to do bad things. Right, because that's not doing anything out of mercy. But, you know, are we withholding the mercy and withholding love and withholding our act of charity with our money? Mm -hmm. Because there's a way to act in service and in mercy to that other person without just forking over 20 bucks. Can you buy them food? Can you speak to them? Think about how it must feel to be a homeless person where people avoid eye contact with you because they don't want to have to give you money. I mean, something as simple as eye contact and just being ignored if someone, you know, they speak to you and you just ignore them or, or cast them aside, you know, that, that takes a toll on a person. You know, it really demeans their worth and, and then they fall into these lies and maybe they don't have worth. I was thinking on that same kind of idea, especially when you're talking about the students and just like mm-hmm. how it can almost be of like 
showing your mercy is working out of selflessness. Mm -hmm. So that idea of we can also intentionally think like I know how to be nice to someone, but we have things to do. We have like a routine. And so like we, we don't want the burden of like if I be nice, if I say something nice to this person or if I am nice to this person, they're going to want to hang out with me more or they're going to like flock to me. And I don't have time. I'm not trying to like be their friend. I'm just trying to be nice. And there's something as easy as just praying for someone on the street like rolling down your window and passing like I really don't have because I don't carry cash so like I don't really have anything what is your name I'll pray for you if you're walking and you have time can I pray over you most time like a lot most time but sometimes I'll say no but like I was talking to someone today about discernment like there's like five C's of discernment according to like Father Michael Scanlon and like the third one is conversion of heart which he says usually means something that you struggle with something that makes you uncomfortable and so if you're like, I can pray for this person, but like verbally talking to them, asking if I can pray is uncomfortable, that's probably a conversion of heart. And that's probably what's needed in that moment. Yeah. Um, yeah. So like acting out of selflessness is also something we can do to treat strangers. That's really big for me as an introvert. That's always the hardest part because obviously we're, we're all ministers here and it's, it's something we, we desire to help people. That's why we do what we do. But that is something that is like really, really hard for me. And I think you can understand that a little bit too, just being pretty introverted yourself so yeah. but yeah. I, I can definitely relate to that and as extroverted as i am like i sometimes struggle with that too yeah you know it's not that i'm just like oh like let me go talk to this random person like you know there's an anxiety in that as well um, but like i always like to say you know god like god always calls us out of our comfort zones right like god is this god who acts outside of our comfort zone because that's where we're going to truly find sanctity and, and growth right it's it's you know, God does not just want us to be complacent with where they're at, but he wants us to constantly be striving, right? There's a Benedictine tenant, Conversatio, that speaks to this, right? This lifelong conversion of heart, this lifelong growth in our faith. But yeah, and just sort of getting back to it, you know, we need to, to do these things, right? I think of many times that I was in downtown Houston and I'd come across a homeless person. You know, if I can give them a, a little bit of cash, I would just give them the benefit. But I remember giving this one guy, his name was Philip. And he was so excited for the money I gave him to get back home. And he was like, thank you. And I just asked him what his name was. He could fill up and fill up. And he was like, what's your name? I was like, Steve. He's like, all right, Steve. He's like, he shows me the $20. He says, I want you to say, Philip, with this $20, don't spend it on drugs or alcohol. And I said, all right, Philip, with this $20, don't spend it on drugs or alcohol. And he was like, yes, sir. Well, and I mean, all I did was sit there and talk to him and this other woman. And you could just tell that. They were. They really didn't care much about the money so much as I took the time out of my day to just actually act like they were a human being and like speak to them. You know, you could talk to my former roommate David about. You see this in prison. You know, like people in prison ministry were so excited when you would come in and talk to them, even these hardened criminals, because they're just they view it as they're outcasted by society. And the fact that you're taking their time out of the day to speak to them means a lot to them. And the same thing with homeless, or same thing with. People in our everyday lives that, you know, we just, you know, they might be like somewhat of a social pariah, right? That's, there's something about them that, you know, people don't generally engage with them, but they're still human being and they're still deserving of our love and mercy. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Um, which this sort of brings me also to my next, my next theme in that had Rick acknowledged that human dignity in the first place, Carl would probably be still alive. Right, if he wouldn't have scared him off, if he would have given him the three questions and brought him into the community, Carl wouldn't have been out there to get bit. You know, it would have been a much different scenario. And this shows something that we talk about all the time, 
that sin is not just this personal thing that doesn't affect anybody. Like, oh, maybe sin only affects you or maybe the person you sinned against. But that sin has these far-reaching effects that affects the wider community. I mean, think that original sin was not just the sin of Adam and Eve, right? But it permeates and affects all of us to this day. I just had this exact same conversation with one of our teens yesterday, kind of about how the sins that we have, no matter how small, we use the, the example of pornography in the mm-hmm. example just because it's something that a lot of the times people say, well, it's not affecting anyone else, so it's it's not that bad. But when we look at it, we see that it, it doesn't just affect yourself, but it affects, well, your family life. It affects your, your relationships with others and the way you see people. It affects the actors and actresses and the, and the producers who are making money off the film, so they continue to do it. And then the other people that those films reach and stuff and it, it eventually yeah. it's thousands and thousands of people millions that are affected millions. by I mean millions it, yeah. yeah it's yeah I mean pornography is one of those things that it's very easy to actually like you you want to believe that it doesn't affect anyone but like it affects the way you think about others so it affects all of your relationships it affects all of the people that you know are producing like all of their relationships all the other people who are viewing it as well as you know, the porn industry fuels human trafficking with money mm-hmm. and things like that. I mean, it really has a lot of horribly negative effects out there in terms of degrading people. Going on the uh, idea of not only just pornography in general, but just sin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Something that a good friend of mine, my co-missionary, and he's been shout out here a bunch too, I guess my first shout out. Uh, but Chris Donato yeah. um, says a lot that um, is very true and it sticks as like, you can, do, you can sin once knowing it's a sin. And that's like the thing with pornography or even like a big one we talk about with our teens is downloading music illegally. Mm-hmm. But like doing it once, like knowing and then you doing it again and you keep knowing it. But after a while, it's like the sin transforms your mindset of what is bad and what is good. Mm-hmm. And so like now you're like, well, it's not like doing anything like it's no one's being affected. It's just on my computer. So and so and like your mindset and your, your lenses have totally been switched. And then, like, what you're saying about how that bleeds in other people, other people now, the way you treat them because of this mindset is different. And then mm-hmm. goes in this whole lint of, like, do not harden your heart, which I think goes back to the stranger. Is your heart hard because of sin or just in general because they're strangers? Or do you, do you live a lot of life of, of softness? Right. And, and, I, and I think a lot of ways it's probably through the effects of sin that your heart is hardened toward that stranger. We warn kids not to talk to strangers, and a lot of times for good reason. Like, I'm not suggesting you tell your kids to to talk to a stranger, (laughs) but there's a reason we have to teach kids that lesson, because they already initially have this level of trust for people, right? That we're teaching them to protect themselves, you know, to not talk to those strangers, but that that is is something that we learn, like mistrust is not something that we innately have think of it think of it an infant you know like they have no ability but to trust that people will provide their needs yeah and that's exactly why i think christ told us to be childlike right (laughs) and i think we've talked about it going off of what we've been talking about here in previous episodes that every single sin affects three different groups right so it obviously affects ourself it obviously affects our relationship with god because that's what sin is but every sin affects others, whether it be directly or indirectly. Every single sin affects those three groups. And I think we've mentioned that before, but I think it's always good to be reminded of that. Yeah. You know, and I think that, you know, as sins not just affecting us, we sort of just keep in mind this, right? It becomes, you know, and this is sort of a lie that Satan does, right? That sin doesn't affect other people. We have to remember that that's a lie and move past that because it's a lot easier to sin when 
you believe this doesn't hurt anybody. But when you recognize these things, it sort of calls you to action, right? Now you have, you know, now what you're doing is, is affecting much more people, you know, or are you, are you contributing to that? But yeah, going back to sort of the theme, you know, Rick made this, not like a, a sin of sort of commission, but a sin of omission, right? He didn't help this man, which led to horrible side effects. And that's something that I, I try to keep in mind, you know, when I go to confession and things is sin, the sins that I've committed, but also these sins of omission. You know, when have I not acted as a Christian? You know, when have I not been the face of Christ the way I needed to be? What are those situations? The last theme they want to talk about, though, and I think this is sort of the, the biggest one for me, is this idea of redemption, right? So throughout the whole season, we have these flash forward moments of old man Rick. He has this big gray beard. And it's this really peaceful future and everything's much brighter, kind of like this heavenly idea. It depicts like this peaceful world after the war, right? Like the ideal community, like Alexandria, the place that they're all at and everything that that entails, right? And throughout the season, we're sort of led to believe this is Rick's fantasy, but it's revealed in the mid-season premiere here that it was actually all Carl's fantasy. So he's been writing these letters, these farewell letters, noting that he's bitten to all of his loved ones. Uh, he writes one to Rick. He writes one to Negan because he actually had this relationship with Negan. There's this part where he's sort of captured and he's at this savior sanctuary and he's sort of with and Negan kind of takes a liking to him and sort of views him as his own son, sort mm. of sort of scenario, which is something that more for like the comic books. But he's lost his family right. you know, to the outbreak. Uh, his bat's name is Lucille. That was actually the name of his wife. Yeah, and so so you have this sort of connection. But what you see in all of this is that Carl is calling Rick and Negan to stop fighting. Right? He doesn't want this war to continue. He asks them as his parting wish that they just stop the war. You find out that neither of them are willing to do that. Actually, Rick is the one who says, he wants us to stop, but I'm not going to. I'm going to kill you. And, and, and Negan's like, I'm sorry, like, was it us? Like, did we accidentally kill him? And then it just sort of like this animosity breeds more animosity. And you have this moment where you can tell when the news is dropped that they probably would have stopped fighting had like Rick not would have just accepted to forgive him. And, and you see in this flash forward, um, this flash forward moment, you see Rick taking around his daughter, Judith, who's much older. She's a toddler, like probably one or two in the, the show, but she's probably five or so, five, six in the flash forwards. And you're seeing all the characters that are still alive. Um, and everything's very peaceful. And they go to the garden. And Judith goes up to this man gardening. And he turns around and it's Negan. And he's like, well, hello there, sweetheart. And it's this moment that, that Negan is redeemed, right? That Negan is a part of this community that they found peace. And this was what Carl's ideal, right? Because despite everything that Negan had done, Carl sees there's good in everyone. That there's good in him. And actually, I think this ties back to the first Walking Dead episode that you did where mm -hmm. we talked about how he had the potential to be like Rick. And now we see kind of the role reversed here where Rick is the one that's desiring to continue into the violence. And you, you said Negan is the one who's ready to forgive mm -hmm. and kind of move past that. Yeah, you, you have this moment where, where Negan's really bummed out by Carl death and he you know he says to rick you know ultimately this is your fault like, you should have been a better father uh if you wouldn't have started this war you know he'd still be around blah blah so there is definitely a power trip that negan's still suffering with and he still has his 
his bad moments. But one thing you start to see in some of the later episodes is that Negan actually has some of these redeeming qualities. I mentioned that he, you know, he was against rape or anything like that, right? Like that was his, you couldn't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but he gets into a fight with one of his lieutenants, Simon, who just wants to wipe the plate clean, right? Just wipe out the communities, find new ones further out and, and, and save those ones, right? Save, quote unquote. But Negan's like, no, we don't do that. We save people. And he's like, so you're going to go to this community. You're only going to kill one of them to show that we mean business. But other than that, you're going to leave them unharmed. Um, Simon disregards him but lies to Negan when he gets back. But Negan's very firm on, we're just not going to murder a bunch of people for the sake of of looking strong. Like, we're going to teach them the lesson, which is a bad lesson, (laughs) admittedly. But we're just going to teach them, you know, there's this redemption. But Carl notices this, right? He sees this thing that we teach in the faith, right? That redemption and forgiveness are never beyond our reach, right? That even Negan can be redeemed and that forgiveness is something that can always be offered. And he sort of urges Rick and Negan to turn back on their hate and embrace this forgiveness for the future and betterment of all. Um, So throughout the past seasons, we've seen all the negative effects that the war has been and all this brewing hatred. See, you know, whereas when... Maggie first took the prisoners, the savior prisoners. She was like, we're going to treat them well, make sure they have food, make sure they have water, you know, make sure they're well taken care of because we're not going to be like the saviors, you know, we're going to treat our prisoners well. And then by the end of it, after the saviors have sort of fought back from their initial victory, from the the Rick's group's initial victory, Mm -hmm. she kills one of them, puts him in a, a cask, like a casket and like ships him to the saviors being like, we have 38 more like using them as hostages and like cuts off their food supply because they're running low on food themselves. You see Morgan who had slipped into sort of a chaos earlier in the show when his actual son died. He comes back with a very peaceful mindset and he teaches this other boy how to use the bow staff and sort of starts to have him and his younger brother become like sons to him and the older one gets killed in the war. And it leads to... Morgan sort of slipping back into his insane ways. And you see the effects of what's happening with him because there's one guy who surrenders, one of the saviors, like lieutenants surrenders, and his hands are up and, and Carol's trying to be like, look, you don't need to kill him. And he's like, I have to for like this younger child, like to keep him safe. And you see like a spear come through him and it's the younger kid who snuck away from the group and killed this man because like he was learning his lessons from Morgan. Um, And so you're seeing all of these negative, negative effects that hate is perpetuating hate. And this is breeding this this sort of negative world that, you know, you think about the peaceful future that they all want and they're not becoming those kinds of people. Then when the war is done, that they're not going to be there. They're not going to have that peace uh, because they don't have peace in themselves. Right. And so Carl interjects that. Right. He interjects that love and forgiveness is really the only way to win the war, not through the soldiers, not through the guns, not through the fighting. He realizes that, yeah, even if you win the physical battles, right, even if you kill the rest of the other group, you've already lost yourself mm-hmm. in the process, right? And this is something that we can see sometimes in, in people who come back from war with PTSD, you know, that they struggle with this to get reacclimated. Not saying that they're lost, but, but they definitely have this struggle. And so they no longer would help or trust others, right? They wouldn't have their three questions. They'd sort of be hardened and probably know better than the saviors, right, to where... The only people they would accept are those who would be useful to them. 
Yeah, and I think the important thing to remember, though, is going back to the beginning of this theme, is that it's never too late to be redeemed, even <laughs> when when they get to these points. So I'm interested to hear how the rest of the season plays out, because going off of this theme, they very much have the potential to be saved. You know, they talk about the saviors, but yeah. to see how they kind of turn things around, if they turn things around. Mm-hmm. Well, you start to see that. So Maggie um, actually starts to feed the prisoners again and start to treat them a little better. Um, gives them like under guard to like be able to go out and exercise and take a walk. So you see this effect after Carl's death that the characters are slowly inching their way back. Because I think that, that it's an important lesson that they've let hate perpetuate hate and they need to start letting go of that to truly thrive again. And so you're starting to see that, and that's sort of the effect of Carl, right? Carl was this moral voice that, that pointed to redemption, pointed to forgiveness, pointed to love, and to, you know, service of others in the midst of what was probably dark, right? Kind of like how we as Christians need to be this light in the darkness. That was kind of Carl's role. Um, and his death was very much this sacrifice for another that, that sort of sort of became a beacon of light for the rest of them. And, and so I think the rest of the season will start to unpack that. It'll be interesting to see if Negan does get killed or not. I mean, I know what happens in the comics, but the show has clearly taken many liberties away from that. But it'll be interesting to see. So my challenge for you guys this week is, is to sort of allow that redemption to sort of start taking place in our lives, particularly given it being Lent, right? And this is sort of a theme of Lent. But take a look in the areas where we're judging others. Take a look where we might ignore those in need and where we let our prejudice dictate our actions. Look for how we can forgive and move past this and live a life of mercy towards others. Keep that challenge in mind. We're almost wrapping up Lent here. So this is still a good time to continue to think about where you are in your life. Maybe look back at some of the challenges that we've had throughout the past couple weeks and check in with yourself on how is your Lent going so far? Mm -hmm. How is your prayer life? How is your charity been? How has your sacrifice been? Uh, are you, do you feel like you're growing closer to Christ? Because that's what this time is for, preparing yourself for that Easter Sunday, which is coming up pretty soon. So, yeah, And if you guys like really haven't put forth, you know, or you feel you haven't put forth the effort, or you're not growing, um, or you maybe haven't lived up to Lent as much as you wish you would have, instead of getting discouraged and just saying, screw it for the next two weeks... You know, this is like, as we just said, it's never too late, yeah, right? Exactly. So, you know, even if you started now, it would be infinitely better than just never getting started. So, does anyone have any shout outs? Yeah, I got one. So, here in Houston, we have the biggest rodeo in the world for all of you who didn't know that. So, first off, I guess we can give a shout out to the rodeo itself because I, I learned that all the money that goes to the rodeo is actually put towards scholarships. For wow. kids to go to college. Wow. I didn't know that. I just learned that. I didn't know that either. But so Debbie Lutz, who works with us in the office, actually gave me some tickets to tomorrow's concert to Chris Stapleton because she can't make it. And I love Chris Stapleton. So I'm really excited about that. So shout out to Debbie. Thank you so much for uh, everything that you do because you make my job possible. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I appreciate the tickets too because I'm super excited for that. I would like to shout out Lizzie who we've mentioned before, she came up, she mentioned to Clint and then she came up to me and was sort of just telling us how last week's episode impacted her. The St. Therese of Lisieux was very much on her heart 
um, and that she was going through a lot of the things we were saying were things that she needed to hear and, and um, be reaffirmed in. And then as we would say something, as she would think, as we were saying what we were saying, she would think of, oh, well, you know, she would draw it to its next point, and then we would interject and say that same thing. So we were really, so I guess more than Lizzie in that moment, I'd like to shout out the Holy Spirit for just sort of <laughs> reaffirming everything that we've been talking about yeah. um, in her life. So shout out to you, Lizzie. Shout out to the Holy Spirit for being awesome. Gordon, do you have any? Yeah, I'd like to shout out Kevin and Sarah Matler. Um, yeah. They have been, they just kind of fell into my lap as like people I met down here and they've been graciously hosting me. And I also would like to shout out, his name's Willow. I think he goes by William, but his name's Willow and it kind of, it kind of came to mind when you're talking about the stranger and just like this whole topic. Someone I ran into working my mission, his wife passed away and I bumped into him. He like walked for a week from his home because he just mm-hmm. couldn't cope and ran into me and for about a week like on and off like we would call each other and I would like to help him get groceries meet up with him and then sort of in a way I guess like I still had time for him but like my selfishness like our timeline didn't schedule up but I guess I could have still worked harder to make and he let me borrow him he wanted me to hold on to his wife's his wedding ring and I still have it in my car and yeah I don't know where he's where he's been what happened so his wow. phone line is gone but we were, he, last time we talked, we were trying to meet up to give him the ring. And it was like three days of like, we were meeting up. And then like when I called him, he didn't answer. And then he called me like the next day. He's like, how about now? I was like, yeah. And we, I'd try. And then it was just this thing. And now I no, this ring and I don't know. So just shout out to Willow. Prayers for him. Okay. Um, that's a good example of like, you know, you there's a the moment to do something. And then there's yeah. also a moment for it to be too late. So, yeah. So with that, I want to ask you guys to pray for all of us here on the Christ and Culture, all three of us now. We really appreciate you guys, and we want you to know that we're praying for you too. You guys are constantly in our prayers, and we're hoping that you guys are able to grow from this, especially during this time of Lent. So please be praying for us as well, and we want to thank you for joining us on the adventure this week. Please email us, Facebook us, Twitter, tweet us. Just reach out to us, email us, whatever you guys got to do. Uh, let us know what you're watching, reading, in your media. And before we go, I just thought of one more thing. We talked about doing another trivia question. Oh, yes, so we did. rather than trivia, I thought of this during while we were recording. Let us know what you think is going to happen next in The Walking Dead. So if you are a common watcher, if you've watched every episode so far, you probably have a better guess than I do. But if you've never seen it and all you know is from the podcast kind of like me then maybe your guess is going to be even more surprising so let us know you can get us get a hold of us on any of the places steve just said yeah twitter uh facebook email email soundcloud soundcloud our faces if you know us personally and we will give you a shout out if we like your answer or if we don't like your answer you'll probably get a shout (laughs) out and if you get enough you might be a (laughs) co-host All right. Thanks, guys, for joining us on the adventure, and we'll see you next week.